Support for this IPR podcast comes from Iowa Community Foundations, an initiative of the Iowa Council of Foundations, connecting donors to causes they care about. Details on the Endow Iowa Tax Credit Program at communityfoundations.org. It's your Friday News Buzz edition of River to River from IPR News. I'm Ben Kiefer. Parts of Iowa will soon be abuzz with not one but two special cicada broods. That's something that hasn't happened for over 200 years. Later this hour, we'll hear from Iowa's state entomologist, Robin Prusner, about these fascinating creatures uh, and about which part of Iowa will experience two special cicada broods emerging at the same time. Also, Lee Rood, watchdog columnist for the Des Moines Register, on her experience investigating online romance scammers. And of course, we have to talk about basketball sensation Caitlin Clark. Wow, what a game. Uh, but first, let's get up to speed on what's been happening at the Iowa State House uh, this week. Aaron Murphy joins me, Des Moines Bureau Chief of the Gazette. Hi, Aaron. Hi, Ben. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you. This is the first funnel week, the end of the first funnel week, right? Explain what that means. Yeah, so what these funnels are, and there's a, a, a couple of them during the session, and, and they're basically deadlines uh, where le- pieces of legislation have to have advanced uh, to a certain level in order for them to b- remain eligible for consideration moving forward for the rest of the session. And, and, and these are designed to keep legislators focusing on and prioritizing the the bills that they they actually want to get moving and get done during a session uh so the ones that maybe uh, aren't priorities or don't have enough support those don't make the deadline they get put in the shelf and 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 you don't have to worry about them anymore you can focus on other bills um so this first funnel a bill has to have been passed out of the first two steps in the legislative uh process and that's out of a uh, subcommittee panel and one full committee. Uh, budget bills mm-hmm. aren't um, uh, subject to this, and there's always legislative tricks and tools that leaders can use <laughs> if they want to resurrect one. Uh, but largely speaking, the, this is a deadline that uh, makes some bills uh, still alive and some bills no longer up for consideration. Yeah, this is the time when we get narrowed down. There's so many bills up to this point in the first month of the session here. Now we get a a narrowing here, a winnowing of those bills. Let's talk about some of the more high-profile bills that you've been covering especially. Um, uh, Rob Sand is the lone Democratic statewide elected office holder in Iowa, and now we have more legislation introduced and advanced this week that would limit the state auditor's office. Tell us about that. Yeah, so what this one would do, and, and I think you said another one in there, and and, and that's a good uh, point because uh, uh, there was a bill last year that was introduced and passed into law that uh, that also put some constraints on the auditor's uh, duties. Uh, this one, this new one this week, uh, what it simply does is allows a, a government agency who has to conduct an annual audit have, or have an audit conducted of their office they can, instead of having the state auditor's office do that, they would have the ability to hire a private accountant, a CPA, uh, to do that audit instead. Um, and then that would get filed with the auditor's office, but the auditor's office wouldn't have anything to do with it. Now, it, it, it 
should be pointed out, and, and the author of this bill, who is uh, Republican Senator Mike Bussolo from Ankeny, um, has has pointed out that this is already practiced for many other areas of government, local school districts, cities, county government entities. They can already do this, and, and many do. There are people who uh, feel that, that, however, that this is different at the state level where you now have um, uh, you know, more partisan-led offices. As you noted, Rob Democrat is the only I'm sorry, Rob Sand is the only Democrat who's a state office holder. And now the other Republican-led offices in state government would, under this bill, have the option to not have the Democratic state auditor uh, conduct an audit of their office and that they would instead be able to hire a private CPA to do that work is instead. And so there are people who, who are critical of this bill who see politics in it. Yes, including, first and foremost, the state auditor, Rob Sand himself. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He had a press conference this week to talk about both of these bills, this new one. And and then he said that his office ran into the first example of um, having an issue with the law that was uh, passed a year ago that um, constrained some of the information that they could request and and, uh, the state parole board uh, in in their audit, uh, recent audit. Um, refused to provide some information to the auditor's office citing last year's law. Um, and, and there's a back and forth about that. But the, the point being that, yes, the auditor's office, Rob Sand, has, has raised some flags about these bills and, and, and the impact they're having on the auditor's office. Aaron, let's move on to a proposal to make birth control available through a pharmacist. Uh, This is without a physician's prescription, uh, once again being considered by Iowa lawmakers, uh, a measure proposed by Governor Reynolds with, uh, I guess, bipartisan support. Yeah, and and it's noteworthy that Governor Reynolds has proposed this for a few years running now. And and, um, I I talked, it's run into hurdles in the House Republican caucus. The Senate actually passed it last year. So it'll be interesting to see if this is the year that this proposal finally gets over the finish line. I talked to the bill manager very recently about that, and she's optimistic that that this will be the year uh, that it passes, but uh, also wouldn't make any predictions. uh, uh, So we'll see. But that's been an interesting one to follow. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, uh, traffic, uh, traffic cameras uh, and uh, hands-free devices, uh, also an issue this week you wrote about, uh, specifically State Senator Brad Zahn of Urbandale. His latest effort to address some traffic issues ties these together. Tell us what that's about. And you, you call it his white whale, <laughs> something he's <laughs> been pursuing for for years. <laughs> yeah, this has been Senator Zahn's uh, pet issue for many, many Years ever since um, he got a, a, a traffic camera ticket uh, from when his son was driving his car, as he tells uh, the story every year, and um, and and it just hasn't over the years had quite enough support uh, to get passed. And so his strategy this year has been to combine that bill with another one, a similar traffic uh, safety bill um, that. Uh, also has had some level of support that, but hasn't quite got across the finish line. And that's a bill that would um, require drivers to only use their mobile devices using hands-free technology. So you couldn't use, um, hold your hand in your phone for any, your phone in your hand for any use while you're driving. Uh, similarly, that bill has had some support that hasn't passed. So Senator Zahn's strategy this year has been 
to combine those two with the hopes that, uh, you know, collecting the support that each one has might enable them to add up those votes and have enough to pass them out of the Senate and the Iowa House. And whether that's going to happen, we'll see. It just very narrowly passed out of committee by a 10-8 vote. So it's still uh, right, hovering right on that line. Mm-hmm. A bit of deja vu on this uh, next issue. Iowa Republican lawmakers have advanced a bill in 2024 in this session that would make numerous changes to the state's election laws. Wait, Aaron, didn't we just have a slew of election law changes? Yeah, Yeah, and that was one of the points that uh, one of the um, Democrats um, made this week at the Statehouse um, was that, look, we, we just had big changes Iowans voted under those rules for the first time here in this last election. It went well. Uh, why? Why are we doing this all over again? But uh, this again would um, it would ban the use of absentee ballot drop boxes. It would move up the deadline for absentee ballots to be received by the local election offices. So, so more changes that are that are fairly significant that that would would take place if this bill is passed. Yeah, and the bill uh, would, well, on the ballot boxes issue there, uh, Representative Bobby Kaufman behind this bill says his goal is to maintain the highest level of in- election integrity, but he also at the same time says he does not believe Iowa has widespread voter fraud. <laughs> Many would see a contradiction there. But uh, this this bill would also restrict ballot objections for federal candidates. It would... Um, not allow the state to disqualify a candidate for federal office because of a felony conviction. Uh, well, of course, that rings a bell because we could have a former president uh, with multiple felony right. convictions at some point here, right? Yep, and this is <clears throat> pardon me, so part of uh, something we're seeing uh, nationwide. Where there, uh, early on there were uh, there was at least one, and forgive me for not knowing the. Uh, official number off the top of my head, but I know at least one state where uh, President Trump was, uh, the, the state ruled that President Trump should not appear on the ballot. And, and so now you have states like Iowa that are being proactive in, in passing laws that would uh, prevent that from happening. And, and that's essentially what this is intended to do. And uh, Representative Kaufman might make the argument that he's not doing it for a specific candidate, but there's obviously with the timing and, and the way the legislation is drawn, that's, yeah. that's clearly what's in, in mind here. And, 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 and like I said, so the Iowa uh, among those states that is taking proactive steps to um, in, ensure that uh, any effort to keep President Trump off the ballot would, would not be successful. Right. And I think Colorado and Maine were the states that you were trying to call a mine here. And I think the U.S. Supreme Court to rule on that in some fashion in the coming days. But Representative Adam Zabner quoted in your article, a Democrat of Iowa City, on this bill, uh, <laughs> says it takes quite a lot of nerve to call a bill an election integrity bill when the point of the bill is to let felons run for office and particularly someone like Donald Trump who has so little integrity, uh, quoting from uh, Zabner there. And and also to mention, Bobby Kaufman worked as a senior advisor for Trump's presidential campaign in in Iowa, but maintains that this bill has, quote, quote, nothing to do with Donald Trump. Yeah, yeah, right, right. And like I said, uh, that that is something Representative Kaufman can say, but the, you know, the the language of the bill, the intent and and the timing is, 
is pretty clear. And and I might add, uh, uh, when you're talking about elected integrity and uh, former President Trump's uh, spot on the ballot, uh, uh, also given uh, his uh, continued and unfounded claims about the 2020 election uh, uh, results, um, uh, there's also a little bit of a conflict uh, there as well. Okay, Aaron Murphy, thank you very much for your insights on a, a few of the bills advancing uh, during this first funnel week at the Iowa State House. Aaron Murphy, Des Moines Bureau Chief with the Gazette. Always a pleasure, Aaron. Uh, have a wonderful weekend. Get some rest. I, I imagine you need some. I could use some catching up and get ready for another <laughs> week, busy week next week. Thanks, Ben. I'm going to take a short break and be back with more of this News Buzz edition. I'm Ben Kiefer. Stay tuned. Support for this IPR podcast comes from Iowa Community Foundations, an initiative of the Iowa Council of Foundations, connecting donors to causes they care about. Details on the Endow Iowa Tax Credit Program at communityfoundations.org. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. It's your Friday News Buzz edition of River to River from IPR News. I'm Ben Kiefer. Well, in just a few months, parts of Iowa will be abuzz with not one, but two special cicada broods. It's something that hasn't happened for over 200 years. Let's find out more from Robin Prusner. Robin is Iowa's state entomologist with the Iowa Department of Agriculture and Stewardship. Robin, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. So tell us, what is this special event coming up? And I guess first and foremost, we have to know what a cicada brood is anyway. That's a great question. Uh, We throw that term brood around quite a bit. It would be the equivalent of saying someone is a freshman or a sophomore in high school. It's a way of grouping um, insects of the same species but are doing the same thing at the same time. So we've got two broods. We call one brood 13, which confusingly enough is a 17-year-long life cycle. And it will be emerging in eastern Iowa. At the same time, we have what's called brood 19, which is a 13-year life cycle cicada that will be emerging in southern Iowa. So kind of an overlap of two broods, and it doesn't happen very often, maybe once a blue moon. Mm -hmm. Okay, so this will only be experienced by certain Iowa counties, the double broods, emerging at the same time, certain counties in southeast Iowa. Yep. So if you go down to the far corner of southeast Iowa, that is where you're going to see the overlap. Um, We can go back to the records from the previous emergence in 2011, for instance, of that 13 year. Um, And that was reported as far north as the Bloomfield area and then in Van Buren and Lee counties. So I would expect Um, the 13-year to be there, as well as that 17-year-long cicada. The 17-year-long cicada will actually be farther um, up in Iowa, all the way up to the Waterloo, Cedar Falls area, over to Decorah, 
we would expect to see them there. Okay. Cicadas are something very common here in the Midwest, in Iowa. We know their sounds very well. For those in Iowa experiencing these two broods emerging at the same time, will people notice without knowing about it? How will you notice? The sound is is probably the first way that people realize it's happening. Um, In Iowa, our periodical cicadas tend to sing during the day, so kind of late morning into early afternoon, where our annual cicadas that occur every year tend to sing more at dusk and into the evening. So we'll have a longer singing period. And if they emerge in the mass, hundreds of thousands and millions of numbers, then the volume definitely is turned up Um, in a real heavy infestation. And you stand under a tree with a lot of cicadas, it could be as much as 90 decibels under that tree. Wow. I mean, I... That almost rivals a jet plane, doesn't it? <laughs> I mean, a jet plane is more, but I've been out on my back deck for the, I guess the, these would be the annual cicadas, having like a, you know, a barbecue out in the backyard in the evening. And, and just that sometimes it's, 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 well, it's, it's hard to speak over them. It is, it is. Um, it, you know, there's a lot of wives tales associated with it. Some people say from the first time you hear that cicada sing, it's six weeks till the first frost. Um, doesn't really work out that way, but it's usually recognized as that the summer is half over when our annual cicadas come out. But our periodical cicadas will actually be out in May and June, um, and they will begin to emerge when it's about 64 degrees, eight inches down in the soil. They really like it when there's a warm rain, and um, um, a majority of them could actually emerge all in one night. But from that, May into June is when we're going to see our periodicals, and then our annual cicadas start showing up in July and August. So we'll also have an extended period of all of that racket. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so these are some of the longest living insects in the world. Uh, the one brood you described, 17 years underground, the other 13, and then we have our annual cicadas. Explain this long life cycle and why it makes sense in evolutionary, in survival terms. What's going on? I think it's widely believed by entomologists that when something emerges in mass like this, um, you overwhelm your predators. So um, those animals out there that like to eat the cicadas, they are going to get their full and there are still going to be cicadas left over to mate and carry on. And so I guess this is natural selection at its finest when these big emergences have happened and um, everybody can get their fill of them, so to speak, but yet there's still enough to mate successfully and deposit those eggs. Mm -hmm. Why do they have to spend so long underground? And they're feeding off the the roots of trees, right? Yes, that's true. Um, Even our annual cicadas, while we have them every year, they'll spend two to five years underground. Um, Periodicals, for whatever reason, um, they found a way um, to stay down there longer and emerge all at the same time within reason. Uh, I don't think there is a ton of nutrition with what they're feeding on, the roots or the rootlets of our deciduous trees. Uh, And, of course, it's cooler in the ground. They live mostly 18 to 24 inches deep. Insects are cold-blooded and um, they can only 
move uh, when they're relatively warm. And so I think that also just slows them down by being that deep in the soil. Are they hurting any of these trees? When they're feeding on the roots, I think they're taking in so little it is uh, of no consequence to the tree. Now, during those precious few weeks of their life cycle when they're above ground, um, they do also like to drink the sap of trees. They, they drink off the xylem of trees, which is usually the water and nutrients being carried up the tree from the roots. Um, when they do heavy feeding, and then, of course, they make their little egg niches in the twigs, that can um, cause flagging of the leaves so the leaves don't look too happy and may cause some leaf drop. But if the trees are generally healthy in a good environment, uh, they'll continue on and not be a problem. If you've got a tree that's already in decline for other reasons, this could be another nail in the tree coffin. Mm -hmm. uh, can cicadas harm people or animals or any other beings? I think the only harm they can do is scare you. Um, <laughs> if you pick one up, you're going to discover that they've got little spines on their legs that they use for clinging on to the trees, and they may feel sharp to you, which some people may describe as being bitten, but they can't actually bite you. Um, essentially, their mouth parts are a really long straw that they use to put into the woody material and um, drink the tree juice, so to speak. Um, can't harm a human but it may be surprising at how prickly they may feel. Mm -hmm. How are you planning to mark this event? And, and tell us the last time anything like this took place, these two special cicada broods emerging at the same time. For me, I have already informed my better half uh, that we're going to take a mini vacation over to the Chicago area um, where we should definitely see the overlap of these two broods in big numbers. Um, he knows me. He knows in 2014 <laughs> when we had what's called Brood 3 here in central Iowa, we spent uh, every weekend that we could during that time period out and about um, exploring and checking it out and taking pictures and generally being fascinated. So um, I made a map in 2014 around the Sailorville Lake area where we saw high numbers so that, you know, God willing and the river don't rise, I'm here in 2031, um, we're going to go back out and see if we can run across those cicadas, that's eggs were laid in 2014. Um, I'm already buying my t-shirt merch off Etsy, <laughs> so I might just wear that for a few months to work and do they'll you have tolerate a, me. Do you have a nice catchy slogan or, or a picture? Um, I, I kind of really dig, I, I have to go realistic. So the periodical cicadas have red eyes, where our annual cicadas have black eyes. So I'm kind of picky on my merch. It's got to have the red eyes, or I'm going to have <laughs> to adjust it. Uh, and I might just go outside and scream with the cicadas for a while this spring. <laughs> Okay, Robin Prusner, thank you very much for this information uh, about uh, the coming very special uh, emergence of two cicada broods. Um, Robin says brood 13 and brood 19 uh, in southeast Iowa. They will overlap. Uh, it hasn't happened for over 200 years. 1803, did I remember that date correctly, Robin? I think you did. I think you did. Uh, okay.
Robin Prusner, Iowa's state entomologist. Thank you very much, Robin. Thank you. It's your Friday News Buzz edition of River to River from IPR News. I'm Ben Kiefer. Hope you had a meaningful Valentine's Day this week, expressing appreciation for those in your life that make make living better. Investigative journalist Lee Root of the Des Moines Register took the occasion to write about one particular scammer who stands accused of swindling via online dating sites of stealing more than women's hearts. Uh, Lee Root joins me. Hi, Lee. Thanks for having me, Ben. You write of this Des Moines man, John F. Clark, has had his luck with the ladies, but this Valentine's Day, that good fortune is petering out. Clark has a long rap sheet going back to the 1980s. Tell us about it. Well, he's basically, um, for most of his adult life, uh, perpetrated a number of scams, but particularly romance scams. Um, he's been doing this for years and years and his MO is, um, you know, essentially meeting, um, uh, single women on different dating sites in several States. I think I counted five and six different Iowa counties where he's been doing this and, uh, you know, um, ingratiating himself, um, building trust with them and then quickly putting pressure on them to, um, um, give over uh, their cellular phones where he accesses their accounts and um, financial information. Uh, and there he um, is able to charge things like new iPhones or Apple Watches and then sell or pawn them. He has a lot of victims, doesn't he? Yes, he does. He, um, we, we found victims in Iowa, Nebraska, Missouri, Kansas, Minnesota, um, I, co- I quoted a couple women in my column, but I talked to a, quite a few, and they all told me um, essentially three things, that they, they thought they were being careful, that they wanted to be kind, but that they ignored red flags that came up right away in their dealings with him. This is how these swindlers can be so successful, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's a pretty um, kind of classic example of what you read about with um, romance scams, which, um, unlike some other frauds that are being perpetrated in Iowa, they're really escalating. Um, and I think they were the imposter scams were the fourth leading type of fraud in Iowa last year. Um, mm-hmm. And federal authorities and groups like the American Bankers Association have been really trying to um, raise attention about these kinds of scams because they're really taking off. Um, you could have somebody who's a local offender, uh, um, um, but also um, you have people overseas who are trying to do this um, on social media sites as well. Lee, why is catching these types of offenders often so difficult? Well, in John Clark's case, um, he had been doing this for so long that at a certain point he quit using his real name. So he was giving different aliases to women. So they tried as best they could to like see if he had a social media profile or check him out in Iowa courts system. But if he didn't really use um, his real name, they, they came up with nothing. Mm-hmm. Talk about the damage suffered by his victims, not only financial, but also in terms of emotional harm, trauma. Yeah, yeah, that was the... It's a big disappointment for all these women. Um, 
quite a few of whom were pretty teary-eyed when I talked to them. Um, you know, sometimes he would, um, you know, only know somebody for a month or two, but still manage to get thousands of dollars um, from them through their credit. Um, one woman I talked to lost more than $20,000. Um, and then they're left just feeling sort of extremely disappointed pointed and heartbroken um, that they were taken advantage of. All these women were single women who didn't have a lot of money. One woman told me that she had to have her grown son um, pay her uh, cellular phone bill um, that he'd run up um, all kinds of charges on. So it's, um, it's just really devastating for them and disappointing. You write that uh, Clark's luck seems to be running out. How so? Well, these women were putting all kinds of um, pressure on authorities to do something. They had come together on on their own on social media sites, um, and he's been arrested. He's facing probation violation charges in um, Polk and Lynn um, and Black Hawk counties. He's been offered a plea deal of 15 years um, just in Black Hawk County, and he would face five years in both Lynn and Polk counties because he's what he, of what he's done, but also um, the FBI is investigating him as well, and that's reflected in Iowa court documents. So he's in big trouble, and he's got yeah. some hearings coming, coming up in April where he's going to have to decide what to do. Lee, not much time, but leave us with some quick tips on how to protect ourselves and loved ones from such scams. Well, I think with all things, you really need to take your time when you're on a dating site you need to be aware of people who don't want to meet you in person or introduce you to their family, friends, or coworkers. Um, goes without saying, but you never want to provide access to any your phone or your financial accounts, and you don't want to give people early on information that can make you vulnerable um, later on, um, because these kinds of predators really prey um, on on things that people tell them. They study people's profiles and they you know, manipulate them into trusting them. Um, you just really, really need to be cautious. That's that's all I need to say. And because you're cautious, it doesn't mean that you're not a caring person. It just means you're careful. <laughs> right. And if you get wind of a loved one who may be wrapped up in something like this, you can pass on these tips. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you suspect a scam, what should you do? Who should you contact, Lee? Well, I think, first of all, you want to make a complaint to the Consumer Protection Division at the Iowa Attorney General's office. And then if you've lost money, you definitely want to go to your local police department and uh, make a complaint. Investigative journalist Lee Rood, watchdog columnist for the Des Moines Register. Always good to have you on with your words of warning and your stories, Lee. Thank you. Thank you for spreading the word. Coming up after a short break, it took her just over two minutes to score eight points and soar to the top of the scoring chart. Coming up, Jeff Linder of the Gazette on basketball sensation Caitlin Clark. I'm Ben Kiefer. It's your Friday News Buzz. Stay tuned. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.
It's your Friday News Buzz edition of River to River from IPR News. I'm Ben Kiefer. Well, if you watched the game last night, which I did, I was completely enthralled. It happened, though, very quickly before a sellout crowd of nearly 15,000 at Carver Hawkeye Arena in Iowa City, uh, along with a worldwide audience of Peacock streaming subscribers. Just over two minutes into the game, uh, Iowa Hawkeyes women's basketball sensation Caitlin Clark became number one on the NCAA women's basketball scoring chart. Let's listen to that moment. Recovered by Gabby Marshall. Here comes Clark. How will she go for history? women's college basketball. Joining me now, Jeff Linder, sports writer uh, with the Gazette. Hi, Jeff. You were at Carver Hawkeye, right? Yeah, I was. Uh, ears are still lit ringing a little bit. It was uh, <laughs> it was just as loud as uh, as it sounds on, on the uh, recording you just played. Uh, the fourth ranked Hawkeyes outscored Michigan 106 to 89. Uh, uh, Clark, uh, you quote in your article about this. I don't know if I could have scripted it any better uh, here. Uh, so describe that shot because uh, she set her sights on uh, what is called a logo three for the record and did just that, didn't she? Yeah, and uh, it, it's certainly nothing unusual that, that Caitlin did, at least in, in Caitlin's world. I mean, it's a uh, tough shot for any of the rest of us mere mortals but uh yeah uh, uh debbie antonelli uh you know the uh broadcaster from from last night uh, got a tape measure out after the game and had somebody out and was uh was out with the tape measure and uh 33 feet for the uh for the record-breaking shot so <laughs> yeah um it was uh uh, it, it was probably the perfect way for for Caitlin to uh, to break the record. Yeah, it was a long shot like that. Yeah, her tally now stands at three thousand five hundred sixty nine. Um, and and the, the the remarkable thing here is she makes it seem, as you point out in your reporting, just like a just like another thing, like she's shooting a free throw. In fact, doesn't she yeah. say that um, you know, shooting from just inside the three point line is is harder for her than hitting these longer three pointers? Yeah, and it it's kind of uh you know, kind of basketball uh knowledge that the worst shot you can take is just inside the, the three point line because the, the risk and reward is, is so much lower than stepping back a little bit. But uh, yeah, I, I think Clark's, uh, I think Caitlin's more comfortable shooting from, uh, you know, 26, 28, 30 feet than she is from 22 for some reason. And uh, um, yeah, I don't know if it has something to do with her stroke or, or whatever, but uh, that's just, uh, that's her sweet spot. Uh, that big record was not the only record she broke last night, right? Right. Uh, she's now the uh, Iowa single game leader she, with her 49 points. Uh, Megan Gustafson uh, had the record with 48 in the uh, Big Ten tournament in uh, 2018. Uh, and then she broke the Carver record, men's or women's, that uh, Hannah Stolke, her teammate, uh, had uh, scored 47 points uh, just last week. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's interesting when she is shooting as well as she was last night, I've heard her quoted saying the basketball hoop just looks bigger 
<laughs> in your coverage of sports, translate that. What does that mean? Obviously, the basketball hoop stays the same size. Yeah, yeah. Well, when I played, I never had that problem. The, ba- the basketball rim always looked small to me. Um, yeah, when, when, when you've got it going, uh, the target seems a little bit bigger, a little bit easier to shoot at. And uh, that's just kind of the mentality of a good shooter. And uh, um, that's, uh, that's just kind of the role she gets on sometimes. And uh, she certainly was on that uh, in the first quarter last night. Uh, 23 points was just uh, otherworldly. It was, it was something to, to watch. Right. And um, she does a great job assisting the other players being a team player. Talk about that, what we saw last night, and and put that into context uh, of this season. She is beloved by her players because she often dishes off um, and uh, allows others to score a lot of points, too. Yeah, she had 13 assists last night. And in addition to being the number one scorer of all time in NCAA history, she's in the top 10. I think she's number six now in assists, which... uh, is uh, crazy to comprehend. I think between her points and her assists, she had she was responsible for seventy nine points last night, and uh, it, it's it's just uh, head shaking. And um, you know, I I don't know. It's going to take some time for people to really wrap their minds around you know what she's done. Yeah, you know, she's not just a great player, and as you point out in your reporting, uh, she's so different. Uh, commonly earning plaudits such as transcendent and generational. Uh, Describe a little bit more about what makes her so different, not just a great player, but uh, that makes her transcendent. She just plays with panache, I guess you'd say. She plays with such a flair, the long shots, the, the slick passes, um, I just don't think there's anybody like her. Um, you know, when she came to Iowa three years ago, I mean, she was just different. And people say, who does she remind you of? Whether it's, uh, you know, a Sue Bird or somebody like that, Diane Taurasi. Um, I saw Pete Maravich play a little bit, and he's the all-time men's player, uh, leading scorer. I, I kind of put her in that category. Just the, She's just different than everybody else. Mm-hmm. And do you see this rubbing off on the other players? Of, of course, Iowa ranked fourth now, but when you have a player that plays with such panache and confidence, it can only rub off on other players, right? Yeah, I think so. Um, you, you see the confidence that a Kate Martin plays with or a Hannah Stolke and, and some of the kids off the bench. Yeah, I think that has to rub off, knowing that... Uh, uh, every game, every time you take the floor, you've got the best player in the country on your team, and that uh, certainly enhances your chances of winning. It's interesting. Coach Bluter had uh, an idea. This happened hours before the the game. Uh, Iowa players sat in a circle and were asked by Coach Bluter to say something nice about Caitlin Clark that wasn't about basketball, and. Talk about that because she is a just a marvelous person, basketball sensation aside, isn't she? Yeah, uh, she, she she loves her teammates. Uh, she's very generous with her teammates. Uh, I'm sure you're aware of all the NIL money, uh, NIL gifts that she gets. But uh, you know, for her birthday, um, she gave her teammates 
new shoes, new, new basketball shoes to wear. And, um, just a lot of that. She's very, um, active. She, she loves kids. Uh, she always takes, uh, time afterwards to sign, you know, as much as she can in, in such a short period of time. And, um, yeah, uh, she's, she's, uh, she's a different kid and, uh, and, uh, mm-hmm. almost all for the good. Yeah. And, and kid is not incorrect. 22 years old, showing this amount of maturity in handling this overwhelming fame that she has across the country yeah. and across the world. That's remarkable too, isn't it? Yeah. And she came into the, the press conference last night after the game. Nope. None of the other players were with her. Coach Bluter was still out in the hallway. She comes in. She's she's just so comfortable in front of in front of the media, in front of the public. And she she just sat and say said, "Okay, what you got for me?" And um, it's uh, it, it's really uh, press conferences with her are a lot of fun. Um, and she, she talks really fast, which makes it hard to keep note uh, keep up with her and taking notes. But uh, um, yeah, she's uh, from a media standpoint, she's great. I started crying watching that video just because, like, I'm I'm just filled with so much gratitude and love, and um, the way the fa- these fans support women's basketball is so much special. Is so special, and yeah, there's been so many famous and cool people and people I idolize, you know, growing up that say a lot of really nice things about me. But when it's people that have had your back through the ups and downs and been there every step of the journey, whether it was good or bad, and um, have seen the hard days, have seen the good days, and I think that's when it means the most. Uh, Caitlin Clark is eligible to return to Iowa for a fifth season uh, because of an NCAA grant for athletes in the classes of 21 uh, through 24. This was due to the COVID pandemic. I wonder, we don't know that decision yet, and uh, I guess perhaps comment on, on perhaps what you think she may be weighing. Oh, boy. <laughs> there's, there's a lot to, to dig through there with that. Um I asked her last summer and she said on a scale at, at that time, on a scale from one to 10, she was a six with the more likely of coming back. I think the more, the closer we get, I think more people think that she's probably going to go to the, to the WNBA draft. I, you know, I don't have any justification for saying that just a hunch. Uh, if she does go, she'll be the most likely the number one draft pick by the Indiana fever. And, uh, you know, there, there are good points for her to go, good points for her to stay. Uh, you know, the NIL money is still going to be here. But, you know, she, she's going to get a lot of good endorsements if she goes to the WNBA as well. Uh, th- those aren't going to go away. Um, you know, I imagine uh, the Fever might be able to uh, sweeten the pot with a signing bonus. I don't know exactly how that works. But, um, you know, th- th- there's pros and cons. Uh, a lot of her... Uh, the veteran teammates that she's got will be gone next year, so she'll probably, you know, she'll be bringing together an, a new, you know, largely a new roster. So um, I don't know what she's going to do. Uh, if you, if I had to say, I'd say it's probably more likely that uh, that she'll be in Indianapolis next year than in Iowa City, but uh, don't, uh, you know, don't rule it out. All right. Jeff Linder, he was there at Carver Hawkeye when the record was broke uh, yesterday evening by Caitlin Clark uh, becoming the number one NCAA women's basketball uh, scorer uh, of all time. Jeff Linder, sports writer with the Gazette. Thanks, Jeff. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me on. I really appreciate it.
And that just about does it for this News Buzz edition of River to River from IPR News for this February 16th. Did you know that on this date, in 1923, the burial chamber of King Tut was opened? Uh, That was in the, and still is, in the Valley of the Kings near Luxor in Egypt. Joining us now, someone who regularly opens chambers of exquisite, often golden, new music, (laughs) along with old musical gems. And as a bonus, Mark Simmet doesn't come with those pesky curses, does he, Mark? (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, no guarantees. All right. Mark's here, of course, to groove us into the weekend. You've got a couple of tunes uh, with us, uh, for us. Uh, What do you have to start out? Well, uh, first up, a band called The Steel Wheels. They are from the uh, Blue Ridge Mountain area of Virginia, Americana band from around there. They have a new album out, and this particular song is, uh, it's still Americana, but it's kind of more pop-leaning, almost soulful in in the vocals, and it's called Hero. I've been trying not to let my feelings show 